Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Elixir 1.12 was released. This is super exciting. We've been waiting for this for a long time. OTP 24 had to land first. It was a great release with lots of improvements. There's a number of things. We're just kind of go through some of the highlights. This is the release of Elixir that includes support for mix.install, which is really helpful when you're using Elixir in a scripting environment. So I wrote up a blog post about this. It kind of walks you through getting Elixir 1.12 set up through ASDF, and then walking you through kind of creating your first script that actually uses mix install, pulls down a library, the, the rec library for doing requests, like how you can make some API requests to a different service like GitHub, process the outputs and do it all in, in a super clean little script and see what that looks like. Yeah. And I guess the novelty there is just that it manages your dependencies without a full-blown mix project, right? Exactly. Another cool thing that 1.12 comes with is the OTP24 integration, which Mark kind of mentioned. And we've mentioned this a lot before, but this is the version that comes with the JIT compilation. And as Elixir developers, we don't really have to do anything to reap the benefits of that. You just install it and you should see faster compilation. There are many other features in OTP24 to look forward to, and Elixir 112 provides integration with many of them, such as support for 16-bit floats and bit strings, as well as performance improvements in the compiler and during code evaluation. Another thing that I know we've mentioned before, but is exciting, so we're going to say it again, is the implementation of EEP54, which extends error information. So you might have seen these really unhelpful errors that say argument error, and then doesn't really tell you anything. So Elixir 112 will add better error handling for some of these argument errors that we were seeing from Erlang and in other places as well. So that will be exciting to get a little more information on what the argument was and why it's an error. Another little feature is the stepped ranges, the then slash two and tap slash two, which are just helpful things when you're wanting to use them in pipelines. Yeah, replaces those and those ugly anonymous functions that you might have to <laughs> put into. It's like, I really need it in this pipeline. But it just looks looks bad. But now it doesn't have to. Yeah, and previously the alternative was like you just create a, a local function that does the thing. So this is just yeah. like when it's a super simple thing, you can just kind of do it all inline. Another thing in in Elixir 1.12 and OTP24 is, well, this is actually OTP24, I reckon. There's a global metadata that you can attach to Logger. So now, for example, Halith uh, gave us this tip on, on Twitter. Uh, so for example, this is an excellent example. Uh, you might have a version of your application that has that's deployed, right? And so you might want to indicate that your logs have this version of your app that's deployed. So what you can do is you can call Erlang's logger, so colon logger dot update primary config and pass in a map there. And so, for example, the map would be key metadata. There's another map in there, key of version, and then put in your version in there. So now all your logs, as they're emitted out, will always have that metadata key in there. So that's pretty nice. It's not yet exposed in Elixir's logger module, so you have to go into the Erlang logger module. But since those are unified now in later Elixir versions, that's actually the same thing. That's a unified logging experience. So that's going to be a nice uh, a nice feature for normalizing logs and just always including something. Another interesting thing were some IEX improvements that 112 ships with. So you got a couple of quality life improvements. Hitting tab after a function invocation will show all the arguments for that function. And my personal favorite, it's now possible to paste code with pipelines into the shell. That is nice. Some other new functions were added. There's enum.countUntil, enum.product, 
enum.zip width, and more. The integer module now includes integer.pow function. And there's a few other things as well. There's just a lot to go check out individually, just kind of look and see what these, some of these are, just to be aware of them so that there's something that you can reach for. Angelika Tiborska, she has a nice enum visual cheat sheet. It's a, a document that kind of shows how to use these different enum functions and, and what they do, like displaying it with shapes and colors so you can kind of understand how it impacts a list of things. And so she updated that to include some of these new functions so you can understand how they work. Another little change that was made was um, the EEX application has been extended to provide some metadata on text segments. And this is kind of what they use to enable Surface and Live View teams to implement the new template language that we've mentioned before, HEEX, which validates HTML and EEX files. So interesting little behind the scenes information there, I guess. All right, last bit for Elixir 1.12 is that registry module now supports a compressed option. This came up because GraphQL takes advantage of the registry a lot. Uh, and sometimes if you have a lot of subscriptions, there can be a lot of duplicated data out there. So now there's a compression uh, option there for registry, which uh, according to the pull request, uh, sounds like you can get a memory usage improvement of around three times. So that sounds pretty nice. Uh, you might, if you're looking in and you're using the, the registry, you might, you might consider the compression option now to uh, make better use of your machines. Yeah, and it sounds like this is mostly an issue when you're dealing with like the hundreds of thousands of subscriptions. Maybe not as something that everyone's going to hit, but it certainly would become painful when you're at that scale. Right. Well, moving on from Elixir 112 news, Livebook is now on hex.pm. You can check out the notes to see how to install it. And what this means is you'll be able to have a Livebook command available. So you can type Livebook server, open up a new instance where you're at in the shell. Do note that this requires Elixir 112, and there are certain assumptions that they wanted to be able to make, and so they required that. Yeah, what I thought was really interesting about this is that Livebook is available on HexPM to be installed in a as a command, and that, that was the main difference, just being able to use it like that. It's uh, very fun. It's become my new favorite way of using Livebook. <laughs> I imagine there's not much difference between this and uh, just running it from, from Docker. If your goal is just to run a live book server, maybe don't do the eScript. Maybe just pick up the, the Docker command uh, because you know it's tuned. You know it's going to be working on the, you know, the, the right version. Otherwise, you're going to have to worry about like what your current ASDF version is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's true. Maybe a little less to worry about if you just run it through Docker, if you know how to run Docker and all that stuff. But good to have this option. The Machine Learning Group in Erlang Ecosystem Foundation, or ERLF, has been hard at work. Uh, they shared a post uh, outlining their progress. The post covers a lot of improvements made to NX, Axon, uh, Livebook, and SciData. I love seeing these things move forward at such an impressive pace. I think that's... That's been the most impressive thing. Like, it's hard to talk about it in the news all the time because it's just every news cycle. It's like <laughs> always one of these things. Machine learning has just been huge. And so it's it's easy to also forget all of the progress they've been making. This blog post really succinctly uh, just outlines like the the impressive pace that they've they've had. Uh, check it out if you're following Elixir in the machine learning space. Another update is that Erlang JIT is coming to the ARM platforms, uh, including things like Apple's new M1 based Macs and some other embedded platforms. John Hugberg he wrote the PR, and in it he said. The performance gains are similar to the x86-64 JIT. Dialyzer is nearly twice as fast as compared to the interpreter. Compile times are generally reduced by a third. 
And JSON wrangling with the JSON library is 1.4 to 3 times as fast, depending on the benchmark. And one notable improvement over the x86 JIT is that the code is much more compact, often beating the interpreter by a small margin. And he's included some links to some benchmarks on the M1 Mac as well, so you can check that out. But as of this recording, the PR isn't yet merged, but it has been getting a lot of attention and people checking it out seem to think it looks really good. So I think this is something that we will see merged into OTP24 soon. So people on ARM architectures and M1 Macs will see some real benefits soon, I think. Very cool, the progress they're making on that. One more live book update is a PR where they are now going to be supporting graphing, which is going to be awesome. They're using the Vega Lite library to bring some static graphs first. They're currently working on adding some dynamic graphs as well. They're also working on a Vega Lite library for supporting JSON, PNG, SVG, and PDF supports. So some exciting stuff happening there. In the conference space, SmartLogic, uh, you might know them, uh, since you're listening to our podcast, you might know the Elixir Wizards podcast. That group of folks is hosting an Elixir conference. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think uh, it's being hosted on June 16th through the 17th of uh, this year. Tickets are around $75 uh, US dollars. It has some pretty good speakers in there. Uh, we've got a, a link in the show notes for them. Uh, go check it out. Justice over there is, is the host, and uh, he's a lot of fun to listen to on the uh, Elixir Wizards podcast. Anyway, check him out. Uh, and lastly, Chris McCord, creator and maintainer of the Phoenix Web Framework, shared a cool tip on Twitter. It's a shell script to help simulate a poor network on OSX. You know, this might ring a bell. You might be thinking, well, the dev tools in, in most browsers already have the ability to simulate things like 3G networks and slower. But the difference here, as he explains, is that no browser that he's aware of applies the network conditions to WebSocket connections. That's the difference there. So if you're making a lot of live view pages and you really want to get a more realistic way of how that performs on slower connections, check out the uh, the tweet that we have in the in the show notes, which includes the shell script. Um, and that's applicable to OSX folks. Yeah, I'm on Linux. So I do wonder if there is one that uh, we can find for that because it'd just be fun to be able to see what the impact is of a poor network with packet loss and things like that when you're dealing with live view. Yeah. And that's it for the news. Today, we're being joined by our very special guest, Angelika Teborska. Angelika, welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Well, I'm glad to have you here because for one, Several people had recommended that you would be an awesome person to talk to. And then also, you've been working with exorcism for a long time. So exorcism is something that I first learned about back in my Ruby days when it was started. And it's kind of a Ruby first thing, but it's grown to incorporate a lot of languages. So I'm looking forward to talking about exorcism and what you've been doing with it, and especially around what the Elixir track is happening there. I think that's exciting stuff. I think a lot of people may not even be aware of that as an awesome learning resource. But before we jump into all of that, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? I currently live in Berlin, Germany, but that's not where I'm from. I was born and I grew up in a city called Gorzów Wielkopolski. That's uh, quite a mouthful. <laughs> uh, it's in Poland. It's a small city with 100,000 inhabitants, and it's quite close to Berlin, 150 kilometers, that's 90 miles. I migrated, but not really far away. 100,000 isn't really that small. I mean, by some standards, it really is. But, you know, I think that's, and that's cool that you're still so close that you can still go visit family if you choose. I'm actually going there tomorrow to get vaccinated. <laughs> Nice. 
So where are you working right now? I work for a company called Steady. I'm a full-stack web developer there. Steady is a membership platform. It was created by uh, journalists, especially a group of journalists from a news website called Crowd Reporter. It was a quite a big story here in Germany. They had a very successful crowdfunding campaign, but after the crowdfunding money ran out, they did not really uh, know what to do next. So they created this product through which the readers can financially support the publication um, on a regular basis. And from that, they spun off a, a whole new company that's Steady. And right now, Steady hosts various kinds of publications, mostly focused on journalists in Europe. And we have 100,000 paying members right now. So not bad, I would say. <laughs> I think what's interesting for developers is that the company started from the very beginning with a Phoenix app in 2016. So it was just Elixir from the very beginning. When it comes to my responsibilities and the problems that I have to solve at work, it's just typical stuff for a web platform. For example, um, file uploads, direct messages, sending a lot of emails, but also recurring payments because uh, our members pay to the publishers. I'm just curious about uh, your path to Elixir. I think it's always cool when a company kind of starts with Elixir first. That's not that common, but I think it's awesome. But I'm curious about your path. Like You probably came through something on your way here. What was that? I'm not very original in that matter. I came from Ruby. At my first job in 2017, uh, I was working for a company that built its product uh, with Ruby microservices. And the product relied heavily on handling a lot of concurrent WebSocket connections. So we were not very happy with Ruby's performance there. And we were looking for something else. I was just a junior at that time, so I did not really have a say in this decision. But our senior developers wanted to try out Elixir precisely because it's advertised as excellent for concurrency. And we started a new microservice in Elixir and I was assigned to that project. So I was forced to learn Elixir. And I have to confess, I was not very excited to do that at that time. <laughs> I was very emotionally committed to Ruby. I, I loved Ruby <laughs> with all my heart. And at the very beginning, Elixir felt a little bit too verbose. But later that same year, I was looking to change jobs and I got two offers. One was from a Ruby company and one was from an Elixir company. And for reasons completely unrelated to those languages, I chose the Elixir job. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't regret that at all, <laughs> looking back at that decision. I grew to love Elixir a lot, and I don't plan to come back to Ruby or any other language at this time. 
I know that's a challenge, right? When you're talking about maybe junior developers, we want to bring in Elixir. It sounds like this is a situation, right? You had senior developers saying, you know, we think technologically can solve these problems. We need some people to help work on this. All the senior people can't be the ones to work on it because we have to work on the other stuff too. And then you kind of being forced to do it. Because I, I get that, right? You know, lots of times we as developers identify as I am a Ruby developer. I am a Clojure developer. I am an Elixir developer, right? As opposed to I'm a developer who can solve these types of problems or these business situations. We kind of identify with the technology. I've been there, right? I've totally done that. So I can I can appreciate how that might have been frustrating, but uh, I'm glad you made it through. <laughs> I'm just kind of curious. We don't have to talk about this, but you mentioned that you had the two offers and unrelated to the languages, you made your choice. I know for, for myself personally, like my day-to-day matters a whole lot more than like maybe the technicals of what I'll be working on. How I feel during the day, you know, the team that I work with. What were some of those things that helped you make your decision? There were various factors that came into this decision. One of them was, of course, um, salary. The Elixir job had a higher salary. But the factor that spoke to me most on an emotional level was how I felt in the office of those two companies. Yeah. The Elixir company had a very cozy small office where there were small rooms for three or four people at a time. So it was quiet. And the Ruby company had a hipster startup office with an open space (laughs) with 30 people in one room and i just i honestly i uh, got anxiety when i was in that office so i decided (laughs) against it that's a that's a good answer i think i think uh uh i think that makes a lot of sense yeah something that's um bringing it back to elixir a little bit something that i've been more attentive to lately is the enjoyment of of the language, but you said that, you know, that that had no bearing uh, and that was, it sounds like it's still early, early on. Maybe you didn't know a, a lot about Elixir then, uh, as you do now, but yeah, I've just been finding that like the, the language that brings you the most joy, you know, that's the tool for the job. It, that, that phrase, you know, but use the best tool for the job. I just, uh, bothers me a lot nowadays. Cause like, it feels like at any, when you get down to the language, like the language is a generic tool that can be applied in a lot of different ways. Like there's no, I doubt that there's one language that is going to be the absolute best. Like it's going to be the language or the tool that you enjoy the most. That's going to, you know, that, that's going to improve your day to day, you know, lifestyle, your day to day happiness and all that kind of stuff. And I'm finding a trend, and I'm generalizing now, but finding a trend that Elixir brings a lot of that joy to a lot of folks. The same way that a lot of folks would say that about Ruby, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So anyway, I was I was wondering, you know, what, what were some of those things, you know, that brought you joy? And Office Space definitely is a big deal. You know, your teammates, definitely a big deal. <laughs> I love that you said that about, like, just how, how everything is kind of shifting back to the smaller spaces, which I find it, that's that's great. I guess one other takeaway I would get from uh, what you talked about was if we are enlisting someone to come help work on a, a microservice like kind of thing that we're introducing Elixir to a company, look for volunteers, people who are interested in coming to Elixir who would like to try this out instead of just kind of pushing someone, recognizing that not everyone is going to be equally enthusiastic to change languages. Yeah. yeah some people just aren't as open to big changes like that, right? And are less comfortable in newer environments. And some people, like to live on the edge, I guess, and try new things all the time. So yeah, if you push someone into it that doesn't like change, you might not get the result you were hoping for. 
at that time, I did not really have a choice as a junior developer. <laughs> but uh, right now, if someone tried to take away my Elixir code and made me <laughs> write something else, I think I would throw a tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite toy. Yeah. <laughs> I bet that plays a role in why you're interested in helping out with Exorcism IO and specifically their Elixir track. So maybe for those of our audience who aren't familiar with Exorcism IO, kind of introduce us to what it is and how people are using it. Exorcism is a platform for practicing your coding skills. As you mentioned in the introduction, it comes from the Ruby community. It was created by Katrina Owen in 2013 as a tool to be used by her programming students. And uh, Katrina is a software developer that was active in the Ruby community. But uh, ever since, the platform grew to be so much more than that. It's aimed at people who can code a little bit already and want to improve their skills or want to learn a totally new language. And one of the selling points is that it's a kind and welcoming platform for anyone that's interested, and it's not competitive. There are no leaderboards, there are no timers, there are no scores. It's supposed to be fun and nice. The platform is 100% free, it's open source, and it's built by volunteers. Currently, it offers 52 different programming languages. Some of them are better maintained, some not so much when they are obscure languages, but uh, you can find their languages that I cannot even pronounce the name of. And the way the platform works is that it offers a set of practice exercises. So you learn by solving specific problems. And the problems are usually smaller than what you would encounter at your day-to-day -day job, and also a bit more interesting than that. <laughs> Each exercise consists of a description of the problem and a test suite. And your goal is to write a solution that passes all of the tests. After you have achieved that, you can submit your solution to the platform. And on the platform, you can get mentoring from volunteers. The mentoring is optional. If someone does not feel comfortable getting mentoring, they don't have to. The platform still offers a lot of value without mentoring, but it is its most unique selling point and where the biggest value comes from for a lot of students. After mentoring, you can also take a look at community solutions. So you can compare your code with the code of other students and see how they chose to uh, solve the same problem. And this is personally my favorite part of the platform. You can learn so much. You can see things that you would never come up with on your own. And it's also <laughs> a great source for the mentors to, to learn by looking up at other solutions. And if I remember right, you don't get to look at the community solutions until you've actually submitted your own, right? Correct. First, you have to solve it on your own. That's really cool. I love doing little puzzle exercises like that. But then seeing how other people do it is sometimes more interesting to me than like how I solved it. Just like seeing how other people think, learning different approaches to my thought process, 
And sometimes you learn new features of the language you didn't know existed, right? And that's really cool. I like that. It sounds pretty similar to Advent of Code. I know that that seems to happen, you know, right around December for a lot of folks, and they'll share their solutions, you know, ad hoc uh, after they've they've completed it. But I remember using Exorcism.io a long time ago when I was on a Mac. I'd brew install Exorcism or something and log in. And the fact that there was a CLI for this, you know, already blew me away. It wasn't just me copying and pasting code up to some editor on, on a web page. It was actually, you know, a, a CLI on my computer that could work out locally for me. Uh, and then it just synced or uploaded my, my solutions. That was like my first impression of it is, uh, is like, oh, wow, this is, this is above and beyond everything I've already seen already, you know? That was pretty cool. Then the fact that, yeah, that they had support for a lot of languages. Basically, the, the way that you described it is like, here's a puzzle, uh, get your test to pass. That's kind of encouraging, you know, without saying it, encouraging test-driven development, which a lot of folks, you know, especially from the Ruby community would say that like, that's what you need to do. <laughs> and so I love that, that that was how it started. It just assumed that like, okay, here, here's the problem. Here's when you know that it passes and you got all green dots or whatever, and we're good to go. Now on to the next problem and getting those tiny little, tiny little dopamine hits of like, okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. Got it. We got it working. But anyway, yeah, I remember that's how I was introduced to exorcism, just like from the CLI program and just being blown away from it um, f- from that point on. So how did you get involved in the project? I have a pretty long history with the platform. I became a student on exorcism in 2015. That's six years ago. That's longer than I even worked professionally as a software developer. I learned about the platform uh, from a Rails conference talk by Katrina Owen. The talk is titled Overkill, and it's mind-blowing if you haven't heard of exorcism before. In that talk, Katrina goes through a solution to one of the exercises called Bob, and she goes from a very verbose, hard-coded data solution to a very clean and readable solution. And she does that step by step. And it's so satisfying to watch. So that's how I learned about the platform. And initially, I used it as a student only. I used it to practice my Ruby skills before my first job interview. So I was a student for a few years, until in 2018, Exorcism was preparing a new major version, version 2. Version 2 included uh, mentoring. Initially, there was no mentoring on Exorcism. Everyone could comment on your code, and that was a bit scary and discouraging for some students. So in version 2, mentoring from uh, volunteer mentors was introduced. So they needed um, a lot of volunteers to start mentoring. And I thought that this platform has already given me so much when it comes to my own learning. And I wanted to give back by becoming a mentor. But also I was sure that as a mentor, I'm going to learn even more, especially when it comes to communicating with other developers. In 2018, three years ago, I became a mentor. But because I already switched to Elixir at that point, I became an Elixir mentor. In 2020, one year ago, Exorcism started working on version 3. 
And again, they needed more volunteers. This time, not for mentoring, because uh, we already have quite a lot of mentors. But we needed more people to work on the tracks themselves. Because version 3 is going to include a lot of new content, and someone has to create that content for every track. 2020, April, that was around the time when the pandemic hit really hard in Europe and in the United States. I was uh, working part-time only because of the company's temporary financial troubles, like every company in Germany at that time. And I had a lot of free time. So I thought, why not? Let's become a track maintainer. <laughs> the other active Elixir track maintainer, Tim, welcomed me and gave me something to do. And ever since then, I've been actively maintaining the track. So with maintaining a track, does that involve like coming up with the kinds of problems that they're trying to solve? The list of problems for practice exercises is specified platform-wide. So it's shared between all of the languages. I don't really know how it uh, first appeared. I don't really contribute to that list. I just use it as a reference. But in version 3, we will have a new type of exercise called a learning exercise. And for those exercises, I had to come up with a lot of new content and a lot of new problems. But they are of a different type than what you already know from exorcism. They aren't really riddles to solve. They are simple stories that are meant to make the introduction to a certain topic more interesting. That explains a little bit to me because I, I do find that a lot of uh, problems Advent of Code in included tend to be a little regex heavy. <laughs> <laughs> if all the different languages tend to have the same problems and probably solutions, you know, similar solutions, maybe that explains why some of them are pretty regex uh, focused, at least the, the beginning part, at, at least. For Elixir, with an, uh, a, a unique thing like OTP, how does exorcism really get to dive into topics like OTP? The sad answer is that it mostly doesn't. OTP is an advanced topic. Yeah. That requires a lot of previous pain and suffering to really appreciate. <laughs> and exorcism okay. is more focused on teaching basic syntax. Gotcha. It's been a, a number of years since I've played with exorcism. And I didn't realize that it had gone through version 2 and now coming up to version 3. So that's exciting. Some of the reasons why I stopped using it a long time ago, sounds like they've already been addressed with version 2. So I'm kind of putting the question out there. Why do you think people should check out the Elixir track? Like if they're coming new to Elixir, it sounds like it really is a good safe place to start playing with the syntax, playing with how do I think about Elixir code? Do you feel like that is the case? Definitely. If I ever get bored with Elixir and need to learn a new language, I'm definitely going to do that with Exorcism. Why should people try out the Elixir track right now? It depends on your needs. If you're someone uh, that uh, really wants to try out Elixir, but does not have the chance at work, and you don't want to come up with yet another side project that you're not going to maintain, <laughs> uh, Exorcism. <laughs> Exorcism is going to give you 
small problems to work on, where you can focus on the basics of the language and really master it without having to commit to a big project. And for people that already do a lot of Elixir at work, in the same way, exorcism gives you smaller problems so that you can take a step back from all of the craziness, all of the libraries, all of the huge frameworks and tricky details, and you can focus on the basics. It's a bit like meditation. I have this exercise. Now, what is the one perfect enum function that I'm going to use here? And then you scroll through the list of all of the function and find the one. And normally you, you don't have time for such perfectionism at work. And mm -hmm. I personally find that to be very fun. That's why I still use exorcism, even though I consider myself to be fluent in the language. And the Elixir track currently is in great shape on exorcism. It's actively maintained by me and Tim Austin. It has 94 practice exercises. We're trying to get to 100 soon. And it has a good balance of students to mentors. It has over 60 mentors, which means you don't really have to wait long for mentoring. Usually you get it within a few hours, maximum one to two days. Whereas some uh, more overcrowded tracks require you to wait a week. Now with that mentoring, is that the situation where Sam going through, I'm learning the language and I get to a point where I'm, just, I'm stuck, right? I don't know how to solve this. Is that something where I can reach out to a mentor as well? Definitely. When you submit a solution, you can leave a comment for the mentor. And if your solution is not complete because you were stuck, you can just explain why you're stuck, what you don't understand, what you need help with, and someone will definitely help you with that. Is the Elixir track looking for more mentors? Like if for people who are already in the Elixir space, we've been here for years, maybe we're working professionally. Is there a good place for us to jump in and contribute and help? Definitely. Every track on exorcism can always use more mentors. There's never too many. The Elixir track in particular, yes. And also for more contributors to the track itself. Currently, it's just me and Tim actively maintaining. And the track could be so much more if we had one or two more people. So if someone is interested, reach out to me on Twitter write a DM, I can guide you. It's worth pointing out that it only makes sense to try to contribute also by mentoring when you have been a student for a few weeks at least so that you understand how the platform works. That makes sense. If someone wants to get involved, they should go through as a student, experience it, know what that is to, to go through the process. And then maybe you can kind of touch on what you do as a track maintainer. What does those responsibilities involve? Ever since Exorcism started working on version 3, maintaining a track started to mean something a bit different. The general responsibilities that also apply for the current version are monitoring the issues that people open in the track repository. Maybe not everyone knows, but every Exorcism track is a GitHub repository, and anyone can contribute to it. Usually, mentors contribute by fixing small problems uh, with the exercises or trying to add more tests. 
So then I need to respond to such issues and pull requests. It also means adding new practice exercises. There's this exorcism-wide list of problems, and anyone can choose to take a problem that's not implemented yet in Elixir and try to add a new practice exercise. And reacting to changes on the platform in different ways. If, if the creators of the platform decide that the API of something changes, you have to adjust your track to that. So that's the general work. But there's also a lot of version three specific work that differs and requires slightly different skills. I like what you've said about exorcism so far. Maybe this is deeper of a topic than we normally get into. Like, But the CEO at my company has been hammering into us this concept of teachers should be learners. And that's the, the quickest and most efficient way for us to grow exponentially. And so it sounds like exorcism kind of provides that in a programming sense where the learners can become teachers, but then the teachers while teaching can also become learners and learn and grow from that as well. And so it just becomes this cyclical process that really helps everybody improve faster. So I really like the sound of that. What are some cool things we can look forward to in V3 of exorcism? I think you described that very well. It is a huge advantage of exorcism. Mentoring others really teaches you a lot. And it's very often that mentors are at the same time students of a different track. What is coming to exorcism version 3? Let me start by saying what is wrong with version 2. Version 2 has four major problems. Problem number one is the initial setup that's required to even try to do your first exercise. Problem number two is the waiting time for mentors, especially on certain popular tracks. Problem number three is that the platform offers coding practice, but doesn't really tell you how to learn first. And problem number four is that sometimes you're blocked from progressing because a mentor approval is required, which can lead to maybe unpleasant exchanges between students and mentors. So Exorcism version 3 aims to solve those four problems. The first major change that is coming is the web editor. Previously, you were only able to download and submit exercises with the CLI. That's um, The CLI is going to stay, but for people that uh, want to try out a language without having to install it first, there will be a web editor, so you won't have to download anything. And this is great if you only have 30 minutes a week to do some coding on the side. For that to work, we need to be able to run the tests on the platform. So major change number two are test runners. Previously, you had to run the tests on your own machine to verify that you solved the exercise correctly. You can still do that, but the platform is also going to run the tests for every submission on the platform so that it's possible to solve exercises with the web editor. 
This is going to make it easier for mentors because um, they will not have to download the exercise and run the tests to make sure that the student solved it correctly. I can see how that could be a roadblock, yeah. Major change number three is putting more focus on learning. And this will happen by introducing a new type of exercise called a learning exercise. And this is where I've been putting most of my time maintaining the track and preparing it for V3. Each programming language on exorcism will be split into concepts, which are small chunks of knowledge about some topic that you need to know to become fluent in the language. Each concept will be taught by a learning exercise. So this new type of exercise will not be a riddle, but it will be designed to take you through all of the basic knowledge you need to have about some topic. For example, strings. They exist in almost every programming language. A string learning exercise would first include a short introduction. This is how you write a string literal. This is how you extrapolate strings. And if you need a function that works on strings, you will find it in the string module. The end. <laughs> and then the exercise will have a short story. For example, the string exercise has a story that you're supposed to help a pair of teenagers to profess their love on social media by generating an ASCII heart with their initials in it. Nice. <laughs> and in that exercise, step number one is write this function. It should take a string, that's someone's name, and return the first letter uppercased. So this forces you to look up what functions are there in the string module, how to achieve that simple step. And it's very obvious to people that already know the language that that's the point, but it will teach people that never used the language before. And then there's step number two. Okay, you know how to take the first letter from a name. What do you do? You have a first name and a last name separated by space. How do you split that? And so on and so on. For every step, there will be test cases. And for every step, there will be hints for people that are stuck. So after solving such a learning exercise, you should know the basics of working with strings, where to find the functions, how to call them. And at the end, you will be presented with a review of all of the information you need to know about strings. And congratulations, you have learned strings. Currently, in the Elixir track, we have 50 such concepts and 40 learning exercises that teach those concepts. And that is not all. I still need to write some more for the mo more advanced topics. So if anyone feels like designing an exercise like that, please reach out to me. <laughs> awesome. That's a great way that I think people can get involved. In terms of the people out there who might listen to this podcast, there are people who are new to Elixir. There are people who have been using Elixir for a number of years. And so you got both sides represented and people somewhere in the middle too. So I think, yeah, there's something I think that exorcism offers every one of those people 
as at least something to they can get out of it or give into it. Like Cade mentioned that by becoming a mentor, by contributing to the platform, I'm learning and growing through the process of being a teacher as well. So I think that's awesome. It's important to mention that those uh, learning exercises will be optional. So if you already feel fluent in the language, you can jump straight to the riddles. And because this learning process will be now part of the platform, there will be less pressure on mentors doing the teaching of the basic concepts. And thanks to that, mentoring will no longer be mandatory. So the waiting times for a mentor will decrease. Yeah, it's just helping people through those basic concepts of, yeah, if I'm totally new to Elixir, and say I'm coming from Java or Ruby, where a string is, I know in Ruby, a string is an object. And the way I think about working with the string is going to be different, right? You know, as opposed to going to the string module to find the functions to work on an immutable data type. So yeah, there's a lot of that basic stuff that'd be really helpful for people to be able to cover first and that take the load off the mentors of having to continually be reteaching some of those basics. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Angelica, when can we look forward to seeing V3 launch? It sounds like it's, you've been working on it for some time along with a lot of the other track maintainers and people just on the platform. So when is this uh, expected to launch? Deadlines and time estimates. That's <laughs> always a hard topic in software development. When it's ready. <laughs> that is the uh, short answer, when it's ready. Uh, the longer answer is that it's getting ready very fast. Uh, we have a staging environment for the maintainers uh, where I can see that the new version of the platform is uh, looking better and better every day. We plan to release single pages of the new platform into beta and ask people for feedback. The official launch of version 3 is roughly scheduled for July, but no promises. And also, it's not up to me. Uh, this is because you have all the different languages are trying to be ready around the same time. Is that right? Right now, we're trying to get the platform ready and back free. And the platform is a web application that only the employees of Exorcism work on. I'm not really working on that part. The Elixir track is mostly ready for V3. It's, it's missing a few concepts, but it would be ready for someone to go through the existing concepts and learn the language. For the other languages, some of them are working really hard to be ready. Uh, some of them lack active maintainers. So unfortunately, they will not have the new learning exercises. Yeah, and that makes sense, especially when you mentioned some of those new features coming in V3, like where the tests are, there are test runners that run on the platform. That is important work that needs to be done by the platform itself, just to make sure that things are properly isolated and can be safely done. So yeah, there's a fair bit of work to do. But yeah, July sounds like a good target. And I think that means there's time for people to jump in and contribute to the Elixir track and just kind of get involved now and start going through the whole learning process. So I think that's uh, something fun that people could check out if that's something that they're interested in. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about Exorcism IO before? Because there's a couple things before I let you go. There's a couple things I got to talk to you about that you've done that are really cool. So is there anything else you want to mention on Exorcism first? I think I said everything I wanted to say. 
before I let you go, there's a couple other things I have to just kind of mention. Like one of the things I saw, you, you did this a little while ago, but on Twitter, you shared a live view maze generator, which I think is really fun just because, you know, using computers to generate mazes is you know, that's something I did on paper when I was a kid in grade school, just kind of like design my own little mazes. I'm just curious about how you got started in doing this project and what it was like putting out a live view app to do this. I have to admit that given the project's initial goals, it's a complete failure. (laughs) (laughs) The project was supposed to be a way for me to relax and enjoy coding without putting too much pressure on myself. And I managed to turn it into another side project that I have to finish and I have to deploy and it has to look good. (laughs) This book, uh, Mazes for Programmers by James Back, has been on my to-read list before I even started working as a software developer. And when last autumn I was feeling a bit burnt out and had trouble finding pleasure in coding, I reached out to the book because its tagline is, Remember when programming used to be fun? So I wanted to remember. <laughs> and as I started reading the book, I thought to myself that uh, it sounds really cool. It will be a waste if I just read it and don't do anything with it. So I immediately started uh, coding all of the ar- algorithms that were in the book. And when it came to the chapter about displaying the mazes... The book was trying to get you through generating PNGs uh, with Ruby. And I thought, uh, instead, I'm going to do SVGs in a web app because I'm a web developer and that's what I do. And it was an excellent opportunity to use LiveView for a side project. And at that time, LiveView was releasing a new feature, File Uploads which I also got to use in the maze generator because one of the more advanced features is that you can upload a mask for the maze and it's only going to generate the cells of the maze that are black pixels in the mask. And to be honest, um, given the the goal of the project, which was to relax and do something cool for myself, I was a bit surprised that people were actually interested in it. I personally don't find solving mazes very interesting. I think they became too easy when I was four or five years old. (laughs) (laughs) But generating them is really interesting and I can recommend the book to everyone that wants to get into the topic. I even had a high school teacher reach out to me on Twitter and ask how to turn a photo of their high school mascot into a mask for the maze because he wanted to show it off to his students. And that was an extremely stressful (laughs) event for me because that was a German teacher and he wrote to me in German. Oh. And my German is, um, it's getting there. It's not very fluent. So I was trying to explain to this teacher how to use GIMP and scale down an image in German. Oh, yeah. And then having to explain the image processing to get the contrast, to get the the black lines and everything. Wow. Yeah. Like, no, this is supposed to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 
Uh, it did not work out very well with the communication, so I just did the image processing for him. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone out there is interested in mazes, if nothing else, just to kind of print some out for your kids. Uh, if you have some young kids, and because you can change the complexity of the mazes, like the the little live view page lets you change like the width and the dimensions and the shapes, and how you mentioned how you can have upload a shape, use that as a bounding area. And then it can even print the solution. I think that's fun. And then like you got to play with it because there's some fun things you can do with like color where it can the color can kind of help you give heuristics like just for even solving it with just the using color overlay. I remember Jameis Buck talking about that. He was uh, kind of very influential for me also in the Ruby community. And I remember when he was playing with this and, and wrote this book. So I'm really glad to see that you found that as an inspiration and, and went with that. So, dear listener, you should check it out. It's cool. She did a good job. I think my biggest achievement with this project is that it got a shout out on this podcast. <laughs> and it was the first time I got to hear how uh, someone tries to pronounce my last name. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that might have been me. I don't know. So, sorry about that if I messed it up. Well, Angelica, thank you for coming on. We're about up to our time. So is there anything we didn't cover that you'd want to point people to as a resource or anything like that? I would want to encourage everyone to follow me on Twitter, where I share my random creations. Some of them include a cheat sheet for the Enum module in Elixir, uh, where I try to visually, with shapes and colors, present what the various functions do. And... Also, a small library that I wrote, which is a client for the HTML validator, which allows you to assert that your Phoenix controllers return valid HTML. Well, Angelica, thank you so much for coming on. And if people want to get in touch with you, sounds like Twitter is the, your preferred method. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes where people can find you. I also just encourage people to check out Exorcism.io. Like if you're playing with Elixir and wanting to get practice, that might be a great place to go and, and get some experience. And especially sounds like with version 3, where some of the mentoring issues might be resolved. And for anyone who's looking to get involved and maybe learn by teaching, because that's a great way to learn, right? But thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.